Malcolm Holmline is in Israel, which always enhances our weekly update on the air. Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Great to be with you. Shabbos like candlelighting is 451 here. So you're right. You have to know it where where you are, and it's uh, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to a great Shabbos in Yerushalayim again, and uh, many people here. Thank God, many groups that are coming. People should uh, make sure to come. The, the hotels, uh, tourism industry, everybody needs it, but most of all, people of Israel. And the people who come here, every one of them, just feels so good. And and you get to help and do chesed projects and go to the army guys and feed them. And whatever you do, believe me, it's life-affirming and changing for everybody who does it. So I encourage you, make a decision now. Come, come for three days, five days, whatever. A lot of shuls have groups here. I saw KJ and I, I met many Rabbanim who are here. Uh, it's really, uh, the hotels are full to Shabbos. Have they been treating you nicely at the great synagogue in the heart of Jerusalem? They have no choice but to treat me well as the president. But we have a great Shabbos. Rabbi Steinmetz of KJ is speaking there this Shabbos. We have a Chazan uh, from the very good one coming in. And um, next Shabbos, we, we are dedicating to lone soldiers. And last Shabbos, well, Shabbos Yisro, actually, we had a Shabbos devoted to the Druze community. And 100 members of the Druze community, including their sheikhs, came down. They were so appreciative. They, they, We had a lunch honoring them because, you know, many of them served. But they lost many of their sons in the war as well. And it's really, uh, it's, it was so rewarding, so amazing to see it. And every Shabbos, we last Shabbos for Rosh Chodesh, we had the, the Chazan and the full choir and the packed shul because uh, it is just such a beautiful davening. People don't realize how unique the Israel Defense Forces are. They don't realize the uh, variety of people who serve, uh, people from all walks of life who have this incredible affinity toward the land and the state of Israel. I don't think you could point to any other army in the world and find that type of unique combination. I think you're right. It's a it's a good point to see how how it's an integrated force, but it's it's uh, why a lot of Israel's success is attributable to the to the army experience and that you know how people develop during the years they're there and the relationships they build. And but what's amazing is to see the spirit people. Young people who have injuries, some serious injuries, all they want to do is to go back. And many of them come back to their units, even if they can't fulfill the full role. Uh, my children, the Dorkins, sponsored a barbecue at uh, Urim Base. And it's just amazing. Hundreds of Chayalim and Chaylot came and they made a big barbecue, but they were singing and dancing with Hasidim, with the people who came down. To to and everybody who sees it just walks away with renewed charge and appreciation, and so I'm saying, do it for yourself. Don't do it for them. Come and 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 really be part of all of these amazing experiences. As difficult as things are today, there was a bad attack in the south. Two people were killed, a couple wounded, but thank God there was a guy there, off duty, but had a gun and. Sh- they eliminated the terrorists immediately. And, of course, you know, there were rockets in the north. Uh, so it's a time when it's especially important to come and show solidarity. You've been in Jerusalem and in Israel for a few days now. Have you had an opportunity to communicate with the prime minister? I have had a meeting with the prime minister, and we'll have another one. We'll see him Sunday again. 
Um, yes. Is there anything from that meeting this week that you could tell us? Is there anything that you can uh, can report that would give us some uh, reassurance that Israel is being led in a positive manner at the moment? Well, first of all, I met with a number of the leaders and with others, and I'd say there's every reason to believe that they are working hard, that they have a clear vision, that they are under a lot of pressure. It's true, you know, both the, in terms of the wars and in terms of the, you know, like the decision to go, whether to go into Rafah or the, the, what, the continuing battle in Khan Yunus. And, you know, they've captured dozens of terrorists at the Nasir Hospital, and obviously they'll come under criticism but you know, a hospital loses its protective status, protected status, once it, it it becomes a base for operations of of terrorists. And here, clearly, the hospitals are being used. This one in particular, where a lot of um, uh, information has been found, some of it public, some of it not public yet. So I think the prime minister and the other ministers and people are want to get an end to the war. They want to see. Uh, an outcome with the return of the hostages immediately or, or sooner. And as you know, two were rescued in a remarkable operation, but many remain. And um, there were signs that they may have been kept at that hospital. There are uh, other reports, but they're not substantiated yet, whether they know or they, what they know and don't know. But the prime minister, I can tell you, is focused on it. He was not... Uh, you know, distracted. He was. He, he discussed the very important issues, and uh, and I found it true of the others as well. People they want to know what's going on in America. They want to get a sense of, you know, the these demonstrations and the um, sometimes the questions. A lot of questions about where the administration is headed because of their push now on the Palestinian state issue on and on other pressures on Israel. Which obviously, you know, is very important for the United States. Israel relationship remains strong. The fact is, the arms continue, the support continues. Congress remains supportive. The American people, by and large, remain supportive. Amongst young people, we have some problems, but there's so much ignorance, and you see it. And every time when they interview them, what river, what sea, what war, what thing? Do you know what it means? It means the elimination of Israel, and they all look and say, "Oh, I don't want that," and they they have no clue. But but as we have found out more and more, and I've tried to see that information in the in the weekly briefings about some of the research and, and stuff that's going on, what we encounter, what we've uncovered in terms of foreign funding in our universities, in public high schools in New York City, and in kindergartens, where woke culture and woke curricula are, are utilized, and we're poisoning a generation. It, and it's largely ignorance, but so many propagandists have been brought to this country. You know, when, when these foreign governments, especially Qatar, give money, they get scholarships, packages of scholarships to give out. And, you know, we know that this country, that many people are infiltrating the country, many from Muslim countries who get involved in these activities. And some are sent for that purpose. And uh, I believe, you know, we, we have uh, we are doing a lot, but a lot more has to be done. Yeah, no question about that. All right, let's uh, unpack some of the things you just listed and get into some details. What could you tell us about what happened up north? We're aware of the fact that there was a rocket attack on Svat. 
We know that Israel responded by actually going pretty deep into Lebanon. In fact, whatever details you have about that depth, I'd appreciate it. And that they did take out a pretty effective leader of Hezbollah. What can you tell us about the northern front? And does this week's activity now tell us that Hezbollah is really involved in the war? Or this is an isolated episode? It's not an isolated episode because there have been a series and they continue today. They fired on Kiyot Shimona. They've done a lot of damage. They hit a, a chicken farm and killed thousands of chickens, which is somebody's parnasa, somebody's livelihood. Um, and the fact that you have tens and tens of thousands of people who cannot return to their homes, who haven't been in their homes now for three, four months, who um, and there have been a there has been a lot of damage. Everybody talks about the damage done to Palestinian, uh, to, to uh, villages in Lebanon. And they don't talk about the damage done to the homes in Kiryat Shmona and other places in the north and the fact that they could hit Sfat as they did. And they hit you know, a hospital and they uh, killed a young uh, soldier or woman, 20 years old, uh, and wounded others. Uh, this is, uh, you know, an, a new front. It's, it's, Sfat has not been under uh, attack Lately, and uh, as you know, the tourism there is down as it is. Many of the stores are closed. Uh, again, a place that should be visited and supported by tourists who come here. But the situation in the north remains very tense. It, it's clear that they, if they wanted to jump into an all-out war, they would have done it. I think that that's still something that potentially they, meaning the Hezbollah, will do. It's also something that Israel may have to do, not because it wants it. It, it doesn't want to have a two-front war or a three-front war, but it, it will do what's necessary to protect citizens. And when they come under this kind of rocket effect, attack, when anti-tank missiles are used and fired and they're very deadly and they flow fly below the radar range for detection by, uh, let's say, Iron Dome, uh, it, it is even more. And, you know, all of this is in violation of the UN resolution, which resolved the last Lebanon war, where they're supposed to be north of the Latani River. And the UNIFIL troops are doing nothing to to stop their activity, to stop the influx of, of weapons, and especially the precision guidance missiles, which they have now, and many of them, um, which they can direct at all sorts of sites, including uh, the offshore rig of Israel, or could hit as far as the Mona, they say, uh, I think that that would be an escalation that would re- would bring a response that uh, would be very broad, far more than what we see in, in uh, more immediate than what we see in uh, Gaza of necessity. But I, and, and I think the hope is to to bring the in the next few weeks to, to reach some conclusions, meaning that they take action in Rafa where there are still four brigades of the 19 that were established, four remain there, and you cannot leave them. If they come out of this war standing up, marching in the streets, Whitson right there says their head, Jordan will pay the price, Egypt will pay the price, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, um, Bahrain, all of them will pay the price, Morocco, and all the uh, friends of the United States, as well as Israel will. But they will pay, I think, even more immediate price for it. And they don't want to see an outcome where Hamas remains in any capacity. The problem is that you can't talk about a Palestinian state when there's no no there's no framework for it. Even if even if you support it, you can't define it. You can't uh, you don't have any leadership. The, the PA everybody rejects, and there's no infrastructure in Gaza now to take over. They had twenty years chance to do, to do it. So you know people 
approach this with such simplicity and throw out these terms as if they don't have consequence. Anything that appears to reward the, the vicious, barbaric terrorists of October 7th is a mistake. And it will be a price that the West, all of us, the United States, everybody will pay if they are able to walk out of this and show that you can get away with terror against the West. Instead of lining up behind the United States, I mean, when a country like South Africa, where they have 8 million children starving, and they talk about the starvation outside, they rape and, and, and crime is, uh, uh, is astronomical, more, I think, than any other country. Uh, and, then, and yet they, they continue to pursue it. They, they went to the court again to, to try and get Israel uh, judged as being a violation for, for the attack in in Rafa, which was very targeted, very limited, and they're creating the safe corridor for people to get out. Is it sanitized? No, there's no way you can pre- you can prevent any civilian casualties. The United States doesn't avoid civilian casualties when we carry out some of the raids against the terrorists. No country in the world can be that precise, but there's no country that's not more precise and more careful than Israel, and the kill ratio reflects that. So... It's a time when people have to be educated. You've got to inform yourselves. You've got to stop when you see these lies and distortions and misrepresentations to, to get out there and respond to it. If Israel what would be you know, unlimited in its ability to respond, this war would have been much shorter. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Speaking of listener support, it's the final day of our 40th anniversary campaign. If you haven't become a supporter yet, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. By the way, as an aside, you know where my son is spending, my youngest son is spending uh, Shabbat this Shabbat? He's in Sfat, and I am proud that we send him, and I am proud that we send him to a yeshiva that carried through their plan for this Shabbat, as opposed to what many would do, which would be to... uh, alter the plan or cancel their plans because of what happened up north this week. So very proud of them. Thank you for that. Yes, I am very proud of him and of them. Is there ever a transcript? Is there ever a third party listening on these phone calls between the prime minister and the president? Well, they do do use secure lines. Uh, I was thinking, I was thought you were going to ask between our discussion. I hope there are people listening. <laughs> but, <laughs> because I am <clears throat> so curious. I'm always curious, like any news follower is, about the content of these conversations. But in particular, when the press reports that it's a 40-minute conversation, no reason not to believe them. Someone's probably timing them, frankly. I'm so curious what I'm. I'm so curious what the content is. Is President Biden guiding Prime Minister Netanyahu on how to approach the the subsequent days and weeks of the war? Is he chiding him that there's not more discussion about the Palestinian state that you just brought up a moment ago and basically came out uh, saying how ridiculous it is to even bring up that topic right now? Is that a dominant topic? Of these conversations, is there some, you know, backdoor type activity where he's, you know, giving him some type of a pass on certain things privately, but publicly, you know, would never allow that to be revealed? Do we have a clue what's in these conversations between the prime minister and president? Well, 
I think that they cover a wide range of subjects. Um, you know, Biden and, and Netanyahu know each other for a long time. It is it is true. It's a very tense relationship. There are a lot of things being uh, descriptions by Biden of Netanyahu on flattering ones that, of course, the media jumps on all the time. But the fact is, the United States is not pressing for a ceasefire. They are saying that they want humanitarian corridors. They want the, the civilian deaths to be limited. Netanyahu wants the same thing. And he said publicly he agrees with the U.S. about wanting to have some uh, venue, some way to to get people out of Rafah. And uh, while Israel does what it has to do, there is talk that there is a sense that there's a deadline, semi-deadline of the beginning of Ramadan, um, which is a period where the feeling is that there could be a lot more tension, especially in other Arab countries and in the West Bank, um, because people fast during the day and it's uh, generally a period of uh, more excited action. They go to the mosque a lot. And of course, can hear radical uh, imams. By the so, way, by the way, for, uh, those, for those curious, that date would be March 10th. It, it could be March 10th. It, it can vary by a day. It's it's like the declaration of Rosh Chodesh. Uh, I always know before the, my, the Muslims I deal with about when it's going to come because I know when Rosh Chodesh is. Right. They don't even, they don't, you know, they, they don't know the link, but it comes, but it changes every year. It's, you know, it moves a month because they don't have uh, a leap year. Um, correction so it, it changes every year um, so the the discussions you know deal with number one the i think the the question of the status of the war and the civilian casualty issues the uh, icj and where the united states has stood with israel strongly um, the international court of justice and the case of south africans brought uh the um the aid package obviously is a very important issue, and the administration is still pushing to give Israel $14 billion as part of that bigger aid package, which, you know, passed, uh, passes one house and then gets killed in the other. And the House has made clear that they're not going to move on the package that was passed. So it's been delayed, but it's very vital that Israel continue to get the shipments, and most of all, that the the message that goes out to the world. This is, as you know, a debate I had with President Obama in our first meeting, and it's been carried through many times and reported on, that the lesson of history is that there shouldn't be public daylight between the two countries, because the enemies of both take advantage of it. And the message that goes to our, our allies in the region is if Israel can't rely on them, what chance do they have? And it's imperative that we project uh, a positive image, as you know, uh, um, Blinken, I think, has been in Israel six times. The President Biden himself came. Um, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, has come off. And Amos Hofstein, uh, McGurk, all of the major players have been coming on a regular basis. And so there is ongoing communication. And as I said, they have not withheld uh, weapons. There is, There are some punitive measures. One involving four uh, people who live in Yudin Shamron and uh, who've been subjected to sanctions, which, uh, you know, uh, can have broader implications because the language 
of the sanctions. And I call this to the attention of your listeners because right now it's downplayed. It's four guys and they say, you know, okay, what does it really matter? Well, it matters a lot because you could have a broader interpretation that this could apply to anybody doing business in the West Bank. It could be applied to anybody who's interpreted as being uh, as hampering what they see as the two-state solution or the, as the path to peace. Uh, so there are a lot of legal interpretations of this that are very important uh, of, of the sanctions um, move. And, of course, they could always add more to it. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of the countries that would come first if we're talking about those who obstruct, you know, the objectives of American policy and, and uh, of peace. Uh, I, I believe anybody who does crimes or in criminal activity should be punished for it. But Israel has a good judiciary, and they certainly have held people to account. I think now the subjects between the United States and Israel look to the, the broader issues uh, of the war, of all, all aspects of it, uh, especially what they want to press on, which is the day after. What is going to emerge and what plans Israel has for the day after? Yeah, I hear that. But By the way, going back to the Ramadan thing for a second, which is which would give Israel three weeks from now, um, it, it, just just for a moment, and I know I know the answer. I know the answer because there are a lot of Arab countries, and there's a lot of world opinion we have to be aware of and careful of. But it's outrageous that we, as a Jewish people, are attacked on Shabbos Shemini Atzeres, which some might argue, by the way, is worse than Yom Kippur because of the preparedness level that the Israeli army was on on Shemini Atzeres uh, that Shabbos. And we are concerned about the possibility of doing something that would disrupt Ramadan. Now, again, I know the answer, but just, you know, for a moment, I think, you know, if we're on this side of the issue, we just need to take a pause and, and process that for a moment. Because the well, lo- I don't think it's not it's not because of, of, the, of the holiday or the celebration. It's because of the circumstances that obtained during that month. I'm saying beyond the point that you're making. Um, that that it's a heightened a time of heightened sensitivity and activity and and you can easily get many people out into the streets you know people get up at noon and they you know till they eat at night and they have time and it, it, it's a time of, of heightened tension which and saying that this could be a danger then to other countries and to, to if you escalate it that that is the point second um, I think it's it's uh, and, you know, Israel takes it into account as well. I think Israel wouldn't mind having a brief respite uh, to reorganize. And, and as you saw, that they, they went back to war and were fresh. The troops are fresh. And I have to just say it again. The troops are ready. The people are willing to serve. People want to go. Familiam are ready to go back. So, so, uh, we, um, we, so we should expect extreme activity in the next three weeks. We should expect, like last week when you and I discussed the strength of Israel being a direct uh, corollary, you didn't really agree with me, but whatever, I proposed this being a direct corollary about the possibility of a hostage deal and the deal being more generous to Israel's side, the stronger the military is. They have three weeks to pull this off. They have three weeks of what one would suspect, based on your speculation, is going to be increased activity in Gaza. Well, it's not a deadline. It doesn't mean that everything will stop. It uh, it is a target. It is it is a sensitivity that um, you know is very important um, uh, about about what, what uh, you take into account all of these factors when you plan a war. You, you look at everything: the food supply. You got to look at a, a million different issues. It's not just you know the military uh, front. It's a complicated uh, complex of issues. 
that you have to concern yourself with. I'm not saying that they should stop for Ramadan or that if they're in the midst of an important battle that they will. All I'm saying is that you ask about all the considerations and things that people are talking about. Those are amongst things. But what did you say we disagreed about? Well, last week I said that the stronger Israel is militarily, the better a hostage deal they'll eventually get from the enemy. Your response, instead of acknowledging that, and not a criticism, meaning that your response analytically was that you felt that the enemy is so confused in general when it comes to the hostage deal that it's almost irrelevant how hard Israel is hitting them. That they just, they can, they, 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 we, we cannot uh, understand how difficult it is for them, meaning the enemy, to, to, sit down at a negotiating table and come up with a uh, an acceptable deal. No, they could very easily get Sinwar to, to give up, the other leaders to give themselves up. You'd have a ceasefire in 10 minutes, and all the hostages had to be returned. It, it, that My point was about the, uh, the hostages, it's not something that people have any say in. It's only a limited number of the leaders who will have any say, and they claim they don't control everybody, and the two guys who were released, thank God, uh, with this remarkable action, were in an apartment, and some of them were being held by private citizens. I mean, they gave them out, and they, you know, distributed them. So my point was that it's not something that necessarily can be just dictated, and that, you know, and the leaders want this protection, because the Sinwar surrounds himself, we're told, with hostages as a protection against, you know, a raid or... You know, an action to kill him. How does how does the average Palestinian in Gaza? How do they react when they see these videos of him escaping with his family and being protected by these tunnels and basically abandoning, you know, the people that have put a lot of faith in him? Does it does it create a resentment or are they frankly used to this type of behavior? Well, first of all, they're used to all of it, and the fact that I think many of them are rewarding. the terrorists and saluting them and and expressing support and celebrating because to them you know it's a defeat of the enemy but at the same time they're paying the price and you hear more and more of the people in in um, gaza saying we're tired of this they're they're criticizing hamas they don't want to be subjected to all of the punishment and stuff because they say the hamas leadership lives in luxury in Qatar, or they saw the underground facilities in which they're living, yeah. and they say, you know, we're suffering, and they're benefiting. So it's not a decision that the average person has. Many of them have given information, people who have been captured, and others about the hostages and about uh, other things, which uh, some of it has been real, some not, uh, that they give information. But the, the people in Gaza today, I think, see the destruction of people in Lebanon are putting a restriction because they don't want a full-out war. They don't want their villages destroyed. There was an attack launched from one of the communities in southern Lebanon, and it was badly damaged. And it's an important message to give to, to the others that if you stop Hezbollah, then, you know, you won't. there's no reason to suffer. And they, they do not want to see a war with Israel at this point. What the solution is, force Hezbollah back beyond the Latani River as the original agreement demanded. Cleanse that area. Let the people in North move back. There has to be supervision. There has to be proper protections. But all of the promises, you know, when Israel made the deal and gave into Lebanese demands uh, on the North about the the energy lines and, you know, for the, the rigs and all of the, the drilling. And so far, by the way, their drilling has gone nowhere. Um, 
you know, Israel concedes each time and it only ends up seeming to encourage the the, uh, the enemy to to do more. We have to remember, you're not fighting an army. When you fight terrorist groups, the rules are totally different. And even the line of command sometimes doesn't really work effectively. And we heard, we've heard lately that the various leaders can't communicate with one another. So a lot of people are making a lot of decisions. What does it cost to build the data center that Israel found within the tunnels this week? A fortune. And the fact that, that you know, UNRWA has been embarrassed now over and over again. But this time, this command center with the data center was right underneath the, their headquarters, and the electricity was heating, was was connected to them. So they were paying the electric bills for Hamas's command center. So let's see the denial there. And you saw that Israel is now not letting in and and wants to close all the offices and says let let other. UN agencies fill it. There are enough agencies serving the Palestinians, you know, half a dozen or so, that could uh, could fill the void. Uh, UNRWA is corrupt, and it's it's clearly in cooperation. And by the way, you saw the stories about the Al Jazeera reporters again for your audience. When you see the things about Israel attacked uh, an Al Jazeera correspondent, now they have two that they have clear evidence that they are Hamas operatives. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, what was the key to this incredible Sunday rescue operation? Because when you see the videos as a layman, as somebody who knows nothing about the military, you, you can't even understand how these two hostages could survive this type of attack and all the gunfire that was going on around them as all of this was happening. What was the key for Israel to pull off a successful hostage rescue? The courage of the guys who were there, don't underestimate, I know you don't, but I'm saying people shouldn't underestimate what it means to, to go into that place, risk your lives to save the lives of others, and to, to do it in as professional and effective a way as they did getting them out alive was really important to the families, to the individuals, but also as a message. And people think that Israel's army doesn't have its edge, etc., Nobody can believe every military expert that I've spoken to from not from Israel says that the way they've exercised this the the, uh, battle is the most professional probably of any army in the world. And that they even keep the, you know, restricting the number of civilian casualties more than any other similar battle. Unreal. The last time that Israel was in Gaza to any extent with a ground troop presence how far did they get it i'm i'm asking this question in reference now to rafa because you look at a map israel is really has taken control of every you know serious place in the gaza strip where you'll find terrorists terror operations tunnels etc looks like they have the entire thing covered in 2014 for instance what was the furthest that israel got into the gaza strip I'd have to go back and look at a map, but they got pretty far in, 
and and it depends on what targets they pick. You know, as as much as Gaza is seen as a small area, it's densely populated. Although not the most densely populated, London is more densely populated. Or Manhattan is, is densely populated. You know, this, these myths that get created, right. and you think that everybody's just jammed into one. Well, they call it an open air prison. If it is an open air prison, it's because of Hamas, not because of Israel. Yeah. And it isn't true that food doesn't get in. There are five hundred trucks waiting to go in. And it's it's the UNRWA people who are not driving the transferring the stuff uh, expeditiously into the into it. And then they but, but is, is it safe to say they never got near Rafa in any of these? No, they, obviously they were near Rafa before. But Egypt controls the Rafa crossings, and Egypt, as you know, blew up a lot of uh, tunnels along that border, and that. Uh, the, the it's very sensitive, and as you know, Egypt threatened. There were people who threatened to break the Oslo Accords, and then, of course, backed off of it. And Israel is taking into court what what is Egypt's real agenda? They're afraid that Palestinians will cross the border and and, and flood into into uh, Egypt, like our southern border. And they're building the they're building a fence or a wall. They're building something. Then they they have built uh, built and now they've reinforced uh, uh, the fence along the border. But they also brought up tanks and. Uh, armored vehicles because they're not going to let them, you know, walk in and, and get through the, the border areas. So it's, um, you know, it, so that's what makes it sensitive uh, with the Egyptians. But I think Israel has assured them they're not going to do those things. And um, um, I, I, and I think uh, that's why it's quieted down. Malcolm, hostage deal this week or not? What do you think? Well, this week, Alavaya, which will be in the next 10 minutes, but I don't think it's likely. Uh, I think there's still very complicated things. Israel didn't send a delegation to Cairo. The Hamas is, has rejected it. They're asking for extraordinary numbers of prisoners to be released. I think Israel is not going to repeat the Shalit deal, you know, on releasing 1,500, 2,000. Including Sinwar, right? Wasn't he in that deal? Sinwar was in that deal, yes. And they want Barbudi out. They a lot want of, others out. A lot of weight on the soldiers. A lot of weight on the uh, on the leaders of Israel. A lot of weight on their shoulders. And, 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 and people who jump. You know, everybody tells me that this guy's finished. That guy's finished. We're going to you know uh, analyzing Israeli politics well, is very complicated. Yeah. I still maintain. I, 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 I still maintain he should have resigned October eighth. But we could d- debate that forever. But whatever. Uh, nobody could do a worse job than he's been doing. But again, I know that I'm speaking to somebody who who feels he's doing a decent job. So we you know to debate that now it's not i'm not i'm not in a position to evaluate it nor are you 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 can have your impression about what happened and and there will be a lot of heads that will roll the head of the shindet the head of the mossad the head of the army the head of other things everybody says all of them will will have to go but you don't do that in the war you got to wait till after the war and then address it and there'll be but doesn't but doesn't modern but doesn't modern israeli history tell us that you do do it during the war doesn't it tell us that the leadership that feels they need to be replaced does act? It's a decision each individual has to make. But look at look at the balance right now. It's very hard to see what would replace it. You know, again, people are making the argument both ways and many other ways. And there are those who are against Bibi before and the country was divided, you know, for a year with the demonstrations. They came together. After October 7th, they are going to move again to political divisiveness because it's the nature uh, of Israel and the political system here. But I, I hope that we can retain a lot of the spirit that, that has been created over the last uh, 120, 30 days. It's really remarkable. It still uh, holds by and large. 
but it's it's you're right it will break down and and Netanyahu as the head of government bears ultimate responsibility yeah but the investigations will will determine have a wonderful Shabbos in Jerusalem we'll speak please God next week God willing and uh, Jerusalem misses you and the Imbal Hotel misses you <laughs> so you got to come soon <laughs> but Mazel Tov on on your grandson's birthday we need all the new Jews we can get and the Jews to come here and I still say there will be a huge Aliyah after this war is over from globally and even from America well I love that prediction thank you for that Malcolm Honline Conference of Presidents major American Jewish organization